Hello and welcome to the Exploring Healthcare Podcast. I'm your host, Nicholas Krim. Thank you for joining me for yet another episode here. Um, really been enjoying these interviews and getting a chance to explore the ideas, strategies, the companies that are shaping the, the future of healthcare and uh, getting a little bit more comfortable behind the mic. Um, we definitely had some themes that have continued to pop up. Uh, I would say number one has been around the need for greater price transparency some issues we have with our current uh, reimbursement model um, and some of the misaligned incentives there. And so I continue, I look forward to continue uh, pulling on those threads and, and definitely do that in this episode. Uh, but in this episode, I sit down with Dutch Rojas, who is the founder of Sano Surgery, Everyone Health, and Shop Healthcare, all of which exist to bring affordable and accessible medical treatment to the world. And so I talked to Dutch about his path into healthcare and entrepreneurship, um, some about the uh, direct con- contracting and cash price model that he's been working on for over a decade and helping uh, physicians and providers set that up. And then we also talk about some of the alternate healthcare financing models out there, the pros and the cons, and uh, specifically the MediShare and HealthShare type arrangements that he feels has a lot of potential long-term. But enjoy this conversation with Dutch, and I hope that you will as well. All right, we'll go ahead and get started. Dutch, thanks so much for coming on the show. Hey, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. I'm sorry it took a minute to schedule it, but I'm glad we got it done. No, you're Super fine. Happy. Yeah, I've been looking forward to it. And no, I understand uh, sometimes life, we have plans, but life has other plans that, that we have to have to address. So <laughs> yeah, now that you're going to be a dad, yeah, you'll learn exactly. that real quick. Exactly. Um, so I'd love to start with your, your background, if you could tell us more about your background, and then ultimately, what led you into the path of being an entrepreneur and into the healthcare space? Oh, well, look, I think I was always going to be an entrepreneur. I had a job at a firm called uh, KPMG in uh, 97. Uh, that's a disaster, right? Because I don't do well in cubicles or offices. Uh, I belong outside my desk. Uh, while I have an office, I have a standing desk outside my house. And that's nice. where I conduct my work uh, most of the year, unless it gets really hot. And obviously in Scottsdale, it gets super warm. So I don't do that. Uh, also, when I'm in Tulsa, Oklahoma, it's also hot in the summer. So I can't do it. But um, yes, I have lots of ADD going on. There's no chance that I would ever uh, work for someone else. I, I tell people all the time I'd be a horrible employee. So I think from the first, from kind of the onset, I knew that entrepreneur life was for me. Um, I, think, I think once I figured out that um, healthcare was my thing, which was in late 97. Um, yeah, I think from then on, it was kind of like, hey, this is the path, right? And so over a period of 10 or 12 years, I realized that I could actually help the world. And so that kind of got me started on that path, yeah. What was it in 97 that caused you to say, hey, healthcare is my thing, I wanna focus on? Oh, I... <laughs> I walked out at, I, I, at KPMG, we had a couple of big, large health system clients, and uh, I didn't like what I saw, but I really liked the results of what happened when physicians, nurse practitioners, nurses, and kind of the clinical teams worked together. I, when I saw the results of that, and here's what I mean by results. When you see a 12-year-old child come in for cancer and six months later, they're better. Or when you see someone get in a horrific car accident and they go into the emergency room and three or four days later, they're stable and they have a chance at life, you know, or a pregnancy gone wrong. When you see those types of like really highly acute things and they switch over, 
Um, when you see those kind of things, you go, okay, well, I see the good things that the medical system brings. But at the same time, when you're doing the business side of it, and you look at revenue cycle management, you look at out-of-network claims, you look at the way the federal government and state governments write the rules and regulations, you go, well, both of those don't really intersect. They're really far apart. One is, hey, we have a heart for people. We want to help people. We want to care for them. And the other side is, well, we're going to care for them, but we're going to take every dollar they have, right? We saw that recently with uh, the University of Virginia stopped their practices of putting liens on people's houses. The number that Kaiser reported, and anybody can find this on Google, was over 250,000 Virginia residents had liens on their homes from the University of Virginia health system. The University of Virginia Health System, according to their own data, is one of the top five most expensive states to do to get healthcare in the country. And so th this was kind of like what I saw at the very beginning, although, you know, I was like, I was 21 when I graduated from college. I didn't really see all that, but that's, that's kind of where my heart was leading me. And I was like, okay, well, what can I do? How do I make a difference? And so, yeah, that's where it kind of started. So you've got a few companies that you you have started and that you run, and uh, you know there's a common thing among, among them that you're trying to drive the pricing transparency in the healthcare system. Mm -hmm. um, and so what's what's been the biggest challenge to building those companies, scaling them, and getting that that message out? <laughs> all of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, no. Look, I think all of it's. Look, I wanted to build. Um, a brokerage marketplace exchange, right? And so the brokerage was the easiest to build. We're working on the marketplace and the exchange we haven't really started. And so let me kind of just point those out. So we're a direct contracting companies and the way that we contract is through bundles. Bundles are just one all-inclusive price versus a percentage of Medicare price, which no buyer understands or no consumer understands versus a build charges discount model, which is the carrier model, right? 99% of the healthcare business runs on that. Consumers, you and I, if we don't didn't know anything about healthcare, we can't read an EOB and say like, okay, well, I got this lab test, 8058. Um, it says metabolic panel. Uh, I paid $179 for that. Well, why did I pay $179? Well, that's because we have a charge master and then we have a discount and then we have that, 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 that. And I just said, there just has to be a better way. So the way we contract is we contract for a cash price. So I don't want to know if it's 200% of Medicare, 500% of Medicare, 60% of Medicare. What I want to know is, is it $5.14, $25.35 or $125.90? And so largely our first big paradigm shift was getting physicians health systems, hospitals, medical healthcare people, uh, brokers and consultants, difficult, right? Getting them to understand that this jargon world that they live in, we wanted to change that to, hey, I just wanna, I just wanna do it like I book a flight. I just wanna do it like I get a hotel room. I just wanna do it like I buy office supplies. I just wanna do it like I pay rent. I just wanna do it like I do 99.999% of things that I consume. I want an upfront price and I want to be able to negotiate it, or I want you to say, no, the price is $5.44 for an 8058, and I'm happy to pay that, right? Because now there's kind of a way for me to compare prices, quality, and all these kinds of underlying things. So um, 
the first thing we did was we started working on contracts. Probably the most difficult piece, right? So getting together with physicians, getting together with physician leaders, right? Administrators. Administrators, I think, are the most difficult people to deal with. They like to do things their way. Most of them, and I'm not being ageist, this is very factual. Most of them are like 55 plus. Um, you know, for them, Facebook, Twitter is like something they've just got on the last couple of years, right? Where we were doing it in like 2005, six, seven, uh, you know, iPhones, this is all new for them. And making administrators move is really difficult because they're used to dealing with carriers. They're dealing with jargon and they've been doing it for 20, 25 years. And they're just like, Hey, this is the way it is. I don't want to give you a price because then that leads to price competition. And I really don't want to compete on price because then I have to explain the value and the quality of my physicians. And so we don't want to do that, but that's the job, right? So we do a lot of, I'm an accountant by trade. So we do teach cost accounting, right? We look at their financials and we start helping them with pricing. We do not set pricing. Sano doesn't direct any pricing. We don't say that's a bad price. You must do this in order to get, no, we don't do any of that. But what we do is we suggest, here's a range. Right? If you're going to sell a total knee replacement in a surgical hospital or ambulatory surgery setting in Atlanta, Atlanta is a great market for us. Um, right, We think the price ought to be between 19 and 25, somewhere in there. But some people are like, hey, uh, you know, I'm used to getting 36. Right, Or the hospital, who we generally don't contract with large health systems or hospitals, will say, we're used to getting 68 from Cigna. We're used to getting 72 from Edna, right? And so that brings up a whole bunch of things like, well, why do prices go up for carriers and why do health systems need prices to go up, right? They do for their own reasons. We can talk about that later, uh, but we are incentivized to get prices to go down. And so what we did was we built a contracting company. Now we have a brokerage, which helps self-funded companies. Um, that's basically 80% of small businesses, medium-sized business, large business corporations, multinationals that have more than hundred employees. So people go from having a regular, what we would call fully insured plan to being self-funded. And then we help those customers. Um, then we have a marketplace, right? Where a consumer like on Amazon can just say, hey, I wanna buy, you know, four PT sessions and I'm in Scottsdale, Arizona. And we go, okay, well, we have nine different PT companies you can choose from. Uh, some charge $85, some charge $150. Well, how do I know which one is best? Well, Mr. or Mrs. Shopper, that's for you to decide, right? You have to figure that out. That's the beauty of this whole thing of price transparency and competition. Like read the reviews. What do the reviews say? Who really helps you out better, right? We're hoping to kind of build a partnership with a couple of um, larger companies that have a ton of data, uh, in this case, specifically on PTs, like they know based on a diagnosis code, how many PT visits they need to get a good outcome. And they have the data for a whole th thousands, tens of thousands of PTs across the country. Um, so we've got that going. And then essentially we want to build an exchange. And so I did my uh, master's thesis on surgery futures and surgery options, right? Like I built a very fake exchange. There's 330 exchanges around the world. I built a fake exchange uh, at graduate school, and then we traded surgeries like 
hey, this is the kind, this is a surgery you need for cancer. This is a surgery like a transplant. This is what you need for knees. This is what you need for hips. This is what you need for spine. And what the beauty of that is, is that large corporations around the world could in real time buy what they need. They wouldn't need to rely on a old carrier model, which is like, well, we can tell you the price in three months or five months or seven months. Like, no, you, we can give you a price that's all inclusive, right? It includes the physicians, it includes anesthesia, it includes the operating room, includes all the drugs, includes the pins and needles and everything else. And so that's what I, that was 2008. So now you kind of really understand how slow the healthcare system goes. Yeah. So I hope I did a good job trying to explain kind of the soup to nuts. That's my vision. Um, I don't know. I don't know if I operate well. I'm not a good, I'm not a great operator. Uh, I'm learning, uh, but I have really great people around me. Super smart people. We have a couple of PhDs. We have some Ivy League people. And by the way, this is not something that I went out and was like, you need to have seven years experience and you need to, I didn't do any of that. I just kind of do what I'm doing with you today. And people came and said, hey, I really love what you're doing. Uh, can we meet? Can we have coffee? Can we talk? Can I fly to Arizona? And like, can we join your team? And so somehow we've kind of managed to wrangle 16, 18 people. And all of them have been like, not people we've looked for. They're just like, hey, I want to come work. And we're like, okay, well, here's how, here's how you do that. You know, and it's great. I mean, it's, it's, how, you, it's how you build a mission-driven, purpose-driven company. Man, I feel so like, much. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, 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 please. No, I was just going to say so, so, many, so much good stuff there that we can, we can unpack. Um, so I want to ask you this, because this has been on my, on my mind, and I've been trying to, I guess, think long-term. Um, the, the price transparency and the tools are, are awesome. And I, and I agree, we need more tools that are like Amazon, that are like um, Uber, you know, that, are, that we're used to using or easy to use. And, and we, we go there and, and we see a marketplace and we buy the things that we need. What's the long-term, from your perspective, solution to how do folks get the financing for those things? I'm paying a cash price. Um, I'm going to be paying a lot of this out of pocket through my, through my fully insured health plan, through my employer. But the reality is, you know, if I got to go get a, an MRI and it's $500, that still could be a big financial burden on, on someone, on their budget to pay for that. So any thoughts around where that financing comes long-term? Yeah, I, I, I think, I, man, I have lots of thoughts, right? I have like 25 years of thoughts on this kind of stuff. So um, there's a couple of different things. I think if you're, a, if you're a person who's on a fully insured, let's say Affordable Care Act exchange kind of plan, and you have a $7,800 deductible and let's say a $1,200 monthly premium, right? The marketplace is gonna be perfect for you because we're trying to do everything on the marketplace, it's called shophealthcare.com, is um, priced under $5,000. Like I'm not selling heart surgery right on a website. Like that's not gonna work. Right. Not yet anyways. I think it'll work in five years, but I don't think it'll work today. Um, what we're seeing is like, let's say, let's say you're on a fully insured plan like that, right? And you're like, look, I, I realized the first $7,800 is coming out of my pocket. Yes, we have a financing program. Uh, there's two types of financing programs. One, one is, hey, look, I need care right now, right? You put your name, you put your information in, 
uh, we spin you through the regular process, right? We have our own uh, financing. And so we kick that out and right, if you have over like a 550 credit score, you're gonna get, you're gonna get financing, um, which I would think is pretty good because 550 is like terrible. So um, that's like C, that's like pretty low. Um, <clears throat> the way we do it, lots of health shares participate in our financing. And what we do for them is it's done two ways. Let's say that it's something that they can wait on, right? Like we have lots of scheduled procedures. It doesn't need to be done this, this week, but rather it needs to be done in the next six months. What we'll do, let's say it's an inguinal hernia and that's 5,000 bucks. What we'll say is what can you contribute over the next five months? Call it a fancy layaway program, right? So on a health share, or on a high deductible plan, let's say a, let's say a health share, because there's lots of health share members. Uh, they have a, uh, it's, it's not called a deductible, but it's an initial unshareable amount, if you will, right? Because health shares are co-ops, right? The purest form of insurance. And so let's say they have a $1,500, right? Initial unshareable amount. We'll try to figure out how to get that $1,500 from them over three months or four months or five months. By the way, this is all physician directed, right? Like if somebody needs a hernia right away, well, then they got to go with the, let's get financing now. But if they need a hernia in the next three months, five months, six months, whatever their physician decides, right? Then we can price out that 1500 bucks over three, four, five months. And we collect it and we give it to the doctor, right? That's kind of a, like anything that we can do to help patients is what we're going to do. And then my side is just, I have to be careful Where's the balance between like, how do you return money to shareholders and stakeholders? How do you, how do you take care of your employees, right? Cause you have to pay them, right? Especially today. Cause like apparently employees are super hard to find. I've heard that. Um, yeah, I tell people, well, if you're mission driven that shouldn't be that hard to find, but okay. Um, and then you also have to be really righteous and good and moral and kind to patients. Cause that's the whole reason we're doing this. That's my heart, my life, my, that's what I want. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's where it's at. Um, for other things, you know, we can do layaway, right? For like LASIK, uh, for we're not really into plastics, but there are some plastic procedures we work on like bariatric surgery, right? For weight loss. And so we'll do like kind of a fancy layaway, right? Think of this, um, let's say you're a bariatric surgeon, right? So you're a general surgeon by trade. Um, and let's say, let's say the total price that you want is $12,000 for a, for a sleeve, uh, gastrectomy. So, uh, sleeves, the most popular weight loss surgery, right? So, um, you charge $12,000. Well, if the patient wants to wait a year or six months, right? We can say, okay, well, what's your actual cost of goods sold, right? Not your, not the price you want, but what's the cost? And let's say we put them on a layaway plan for six months that gets us to the cost, right? So we've covered the actual hard costs of the procedure. And let's call that $8,000 just for fun, right? So we cover the eight in six months or nine months or a year, right? And then we finance the rest, right? We'll just call that margin. And so we've kind of worked on these programs and we've built them over the last decade and, um, I, I built that one for a bunch of plastic surgeons in the early 2000s in New York, and it worked out really well. And so now we're doing it for bariatrics. So I hope that answers your 
financing question. Yeah, no, it does. Or, it does. Kind of, yeah. Yeah. And um, I, I spoke to someone just recently that has a health sharing um, kind of crowdfunding type arrangement. And what you just described is very similar to that model. Um, we'll fund it on the front end, or if it's more immediate, we'll pay out or we'll pay it on the back end. We'll spread it out over the course of, you know, 12 months, six months or whatever. Mm -hmm. We'll get it. I think that's super cool. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I like that. Yeah. yeah. Who, who did you talk to about that? Cause it's fun. Uh, crowd health. Oh yeah. We know crowd health. Yeah. Andy. Yes. Yeah. He's pretty great. I like, I, I, I like him. Yeah. I love how straightforward that model is and the processes and you've got the subscription fee and then you've got the, I think you mentioned that, uh, Unshareable, I think it's like five hundred dollars. Uh, but the wave that yeah. if you have your preventative care, that good stuff. I, I I've shared with Andy. I think he's the most progressive uh, health share model in the country. Of course, he just got his funding. He's just starting, right? Like this is all new. Mm -hmm. But I think as far as an innovator, I think he's it. You know, we've spent lots of time, and I'm not being disrespectful to right the guys that made the health share business, right? Christian Healthcare Ministries, MediShare, all these wonderful people really just did it out of the goodness of their hearts. Uh, I think I think that they did really good job 20 years ago. And people like me, you, Andy, and others, right, over the last decade, 15 years, I mean, I've spent time with all of those people. And I've said, hey, listen, how much money do you think you could save if you worked with a direct contracting company like us? And maybe... Um, you know, your members could text us and say, hey, I need a hernia in Atlanta, or hey, I'm in Chicago, I need a blah, 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 right? And none of the really old guard was open to that, right? Because they, uh, for whatever reason, right? Maybe they don't like innovation, maybe they don't like me, I, do, I, I have no answers for that. But what we did find is the health shares that are run by younger guys, uh, and by guys, I mean, like guys and girls, there's seven or eight that are run by people under 40 and under 45. And all of a sudden they're the most innovative, right? They're the ones we collaborate with in the marketplace. And then when I try to talk to the 60 year olds, it just doesn't work. It doesn't seemingly work. Again, I'm not trying to be ageist. I'm just saying like some people like to do, well, this is the way we've always done it. And this is the way, blah, 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 blah. I'm just not cool with that. Right. I'm like, well, just because you've always done it that way, it doesn't make it right. Right. Well, my exposure to like crowd health is they've got a pretty modern tech stack and they understand that aspect of it. Mm -hmm. And then I think also, I think in the way that they talk about the product and the way that they market the product, it definitely, people understand it. It's like, this is like crowdfunding. You know, we've all heard of this concept where you can yep. you have a cause and you raise a bunch of money or you got a big medical bill. We've just essentially created, created a community around that and given people some incentives to participate and providing you some tools and providing a process. And uh, that resonates with people like, oh, I understand that. I see that all the time online. I know that people have gone through that process and that makes sense in this situation, so. Yep, and think about how many gig workers there are, right? That's the other thing we've talked to these religious groups about. We're like, look, we realize you have an exemption from the ACA, but let's say you started a company that did the same thing that didn't have an exemption, right? It was non-religious, right? Uh, as far as I can remember, you know, Jesus said, go out into all the world. He didn't say, just help, just help the Protestants. And so like, well, I get that you have a thing with the ACA and you want people to be a part of this deal. But like, I want everybody to have, you know, cheaper healthcare. I don't even like, I get upset about this whole like Medicare for all slogan. 
you know, I'm like, well, for being as woke as we are, right? If you're going to say healthcare for all, shouldn't that mean like globally healthcare for all? Like that's pretty, pretty offensive. Uh, I mean, I've spent the majority of my life not in this country. And so I'm like, hey, man, you know, kind of be cool. And why don't we help everybody? Well, the way to help everybody is to have models like crowd health, like ours, and there's a hundred others, right? And kind of they all work together and seemingly the system works a little better. Something that I thought about earlier this year, and I've seen some others communicate this and think about this as well is, you know, I think, I think about how many people would start a business. They would take a different type of risk. They would maybe work less, have a different type of lifestyle if they knew the healthcare piece was going to be covered. If they, knew that, if they knew they had the tools that if I'm faced with a big medical procedure or expense, I've got somebody that can help me through that or give me tools or give me guidance around that. That's not tied to my employer. Um, so I, th I think a lot about that. I mean, that's, that, that's such a, so I've been very interested in these type of solutions because it's not tied to your employment. It's not, you don't have to switch insurance providers mm -hmm. or carriers when you change from job to job or you know, if I get laid off or if I'm in between jobs, what am I going to do? I have to go to the marketplace to, to get a policy. Um, and so it's interesting to think about that and think about that in the global scale as well. When I read about someplace like France that, you know, your healthcare coverage is tied to the government, to your citizenship. And so if I'm in between jobs, I have that, that coverage. And I'm not saying that's the answer, but it's interesting to think about those type of models where this is a tool that I can use whatever my employment looks like. Yeah, I think what I like about what you're saying is it, it needs to be more from the user's experience, not from the government's experience or the carrier's experience or like how can we extract the most money experience. It needs to be from mine. And so people like Crowd, I mean, there, there are hundreds of young entrepreneurs working to solve this problem, right? And then I, I, I would prefer that everybody is not an employee, right? I think working a gig deal is the nuts. I'm like, why do you want, like, I don't want someone's thumb on me, right? I don't mind a customer's thumb on me because I've traded value with them. I've, it, it, like, I, I guess when someone gives me consideration for the work I do, right? Like, I feel like I owe them something and I want to dedicate my service to them. But I don't want someone standing over me and saying, well, I control your healthcare. I control your paycheck. I control this. I, like, that's not for me. And so part of the reason that I wanted to build the marketplace, right, was to help health share customers, right, like CrowdHealth, and then to help um, independent people who are gig workers. And really, the third market segment of that marketplace is what I would call the functionally uncovered individuals. So people who have coverage through their employer, but their coverage is like, you know, their deductibles, their co-pays are so high that they're really not ever going to reach them. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, unless they have some kind of major catastrophe, they're going to be stuck paying 35 Gs a year for nothing. I mean, the, st the stat that came out from Kaiser was 90% of uh, covered individuals do not meet their deductible. Right? That's insane, right? So you got functionally uncovered people. They have less in savings than, than their deductible. And so they've got this gap. Right? right. And it's like, well, if you didn't have to pay $200 per blood test at the hospital that your doctor sent you to, but you could just go to Quest or LabCorp or, or there are 219,000 licensed CLIA labs. 
you know, people tell me Quest is the biggest and Labcorp is the biggest. I'm like, those guys own like 10,000 locations apiece. There are 219,000 locations around the country. Imagine if they had to compete on price. And that's a local thing, you know? We, we see it all the time in our business where I get things for five, six, eight dollars and employees directed by their physicians are paying $153, $400 for like very simple blood tests, right? It's infuriating. And it's like, well, the way to solve that is not me to change a law or you to go to Capitol Hill and dear Mr. Senator, will you please fix this problem for me? So pretty, please. No, it's to build a website that meets all these government regulations, you know, when it comes to privacy and security. And then it's to say, hey, dear customer, whether in your Los Angeles, New York, Chicago, Miami, Orlando, Dallas, Texas, or Austin, it's $5.22 for this blood test. Don't ever go to the hospital again. I mean, that sets people free. That allows people to do exactly what you're talking about, right? Like I want to move and I want to move and I want to go when I want to go and I want to work for who I want to work for. And, you know, it shouldn't be about benefits. Yeah. And as, as the more I learn and the more I'm aware of these tools, I, I get less, I'm more confident that if you're step away from the fully insured model, that I can get a lot of this routine stuff that's going to apply towards my deductible anyways, and I'm going to be responsible for it out of pocket. That there's tools that I don't have to worry so much about. Yeah, but I need to keep my plan in case something catastrophic comes along. There's other right. ways to finance that and to get that at a lower cost and pay for that over time. Yeah, I think the good news is, you know, if you're in the sales business or you're a consultant, right? And this is where. It, this struggle is probably more real where you're like, hey, I'm not really, I don't want to be tied to an employer, right? As a consultant, it's like, well, but I do work for 10 different hospitals or I do work for 10 different businesses. Um, this is where these types of health shares like, you know, CrowdHealth, Sidera, um, uh, Samaritan and MediShare and Christian, like, this is where all these guys kind of come in. It's why I want them to do better. It's mm -hmm. why I'm constantly like knocking on their doors like, hey, what you're doing is old world. Can we please jump into, you know, at least 1995 and not be in 1976 when I was born? Can we like hurry up with this process, please? Um, and that's because I want people to be free, right? I, I don't want people to be under the burden of, well, I'm at Comcast because they pay a really good wage. And you know what? My wife has this issue and we, we really need this, to, you know, we need coverage. Oh, by the way, we pay $7,500 in deductibles a year right on top of our $1,500 premium. I mean, it's just insane. You know, if you, can, if you can be a responsible adult, you can use a health share. And what you can do is you can put some money in savings. And when you actually start having, you know, you don't have stuff between 21 and 35. You might have a pregnancy between them, but the odds or stats that you're gonna get sick in a bad way are very low in those age groups. Both, both male and female. So why not try to figure out like, how do I put 50 or $100 away, right? How do I do that? And some people say, well, young people can't do that today. Well, yeah, they can, because I see them out drinking every Saturday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Like, I know that they can do it, right? Stop buying fancy stuff, stop buying fancy cars, be a responsible person. Like, there's no, there aren't very many excuses for the average Joe right? Not to do that. And so when you get to a certain age where you have to start paying for those things, 
you actually then have more control because you can pay cash. And doctors like to get paid the day of service. I mean, you'd be blown away. The marketplace gets almost better prices than the brokerage. Why? Because the brokerage has to go through a TPA. It has to go through an employer. It has to, like, you know, everybody wants, everybody in the healthcare system wants to suck a bit out of that dollar and get some interest. When it's, if you pay for a hernia directly and you're like, here's $3,800. Well, that costs an employer $5,200 because by the time everyone's done screwing around with the bills, it's touched, you know, 50 people's hands and all that required, that's all cost, right? It's all expense. So we have to get that out of the system. And the faster we can pay people, the better price we get, right? That old time value of money thing we learned in school, it's paying in the rear end. So as you're scaling the marketplace, have you been focused on scaling up the number of providers and the number of cash prices or the um, number of cons uh, consumers on your platform and then leverage that to get providers? How have you thought about that? Um, well, I didn't build the market. Like we just started working on the marketplace okay, in the last okay. uh, seven months. Uh, it won't even be ready till March. Uh, it was supposed to be ready at Christmas, but you know how developers go. Like this, like, you know, building a house. It's like you agree with the builder. Hey, we're going to have it. And it's not because they're not a good builder or not a good developer. This is just the way of it. You know, it's just kind of like how it works. Um, so I probably should have known better. But the reason we could start the marketplace is because I already had the supply side. We took all of our contracts, called all those doctors again and said, hey, here's what we're doing. And they all were like, okay, that's cool, right? Do it, make it happen, sell more stuff, hurry up, right? Because they want, what, what, what the most wonderful thing is about price transparency is the really good doctors are gonna get all the patients. And the really not good doctors that people like Walmart and Target and PG&E and Comcast complain about around the country, right? With these big, like, we do COE, you know, centers of excellence. We're the big, you know, we understand everything kind of people. Those big mega corporations have been complaining that, you know, they spent 40% of procedures are nonsense. They, they, they use the word appropriate and not appropriate, right? And they say, appropriateness dictates that half these procedures should never have been done. Well, if you have price transparency, the best physicians have the best outcomes. Period, right? And we'll be able to say, doc, a lot of doctors are like, well, you know, I deal with really poor patients that are in really bad health and, well, okay, then produce that data. Then say, well, the guy had a 45 BMI, serious heart problems, but he needed a new knee, even though he weighed 398 pounds, right? You, people understand that because another person will say, yeah, but I'm super healthy. I weigh 185 pounds, I'm 5'10" right? I'm a buck 85. I am healthy. I have no underlying conditions. So I'm not going to be, I'm not going to have this, expect the same outcomes as that guy. And I think price transparency brings about that real quality value proposition, right? Because nobody's going to put up with any junk. And right now, if you have insurance, like they tell you like, Hey, go here. This is the hospital system you got to go to. This is what you're going to do. You know, and I think that was effective 50 years ago, but I don't think that's effective today. So what's been, so do you, your contracting, have you focused, is that mainly been the U.S. or do you, have you focused uh, internationally as well? Yes. You know, I'm from the Netherlands. If you didn't know that, now you know. Um, born and raised. 
um, and went to graduate school in England, right? And so, so did my wife by chance, so that's cool. Um, I, we have customers in the UK, we have customers in Portugal, Spain, and the Netherlands. Um, we're gonna hopefully finish some projects in um, the UAE, as well as, um, yeah, as well as other parts of Asia. So I'm hoping that as our business expands and gets bigger, uh, this is where I think the marketplace will far exceed the brokerage. Uh, I think the brokerage, right, the business to business product is really cool and it helps lots of employees. But, you know, there's 7 billion plus people in the world. And it's likely that 4 billion of them don't have a healthcare coverage of some type because they don't live in the Western half of the world where um, tax dollars or tax currency is abundant, right? In the Netherlands, it's wonderful healthcare. Like, never thought twice about it. Uh, places like Switzerland, wonderful healthcare. I would not say France has great healthcare. I just, it's not very good. But when you go to Norway or Sweden, all countries I've been to, Finland, I mean, it's exceptional care. But it's, it's completely preposterous to compare the United States with those places. Those places are largely, uh, they have a single culture, right? Like in the Netherlands, um, everyone's like 6'2". Most people are really healthy, high vegetable diet, some meats, and people don't overeat. Like when I go home to the Netherlands, I'm the fattest person there. And my cousins always say something about it. They're like, oh, that's because you have a Spanish father. You know what I mean? They're like, oh, you got that Spanish blood, right? They make fun of me because I'm the shortest at 5'10". And so I think it's really hard to compare those types of countries with the United States. When you have like one type of kind of cultural person and then you go to a culture that's super diverse where we have everybody and doctors are trained like, hey, you have to treat someone from Asia who has this unique pattern in their body and then you also have to treat someone from Africa and someone from here and there. Like there's so much going on. I think it's completely like, it's a completely different experience and thing. And I think it's harder. So yeah, I don't, I don't think the two work. Um, I, I like that governments have tried to pay for things. Uh, I'm not a big believer in uh, government control or government standing over you. Um, I think Medicare is a disaster. And so I think our marketplace, even though we're keeping it under $5,000, that covers like more than 50% of all utilized medical treatments and services in the, in the world. And so why not, right? Because we make things cheaper here, things will get cheaper in Western Europe, things will get cheaper in South America, Central America, Africa, and Asia. And that's the whole goal, right? To help people around the world. It's a pretty small vision, I think. <laughs> But as you're talking there, you know, I think my, my question there and what I was trying to wrap my mind around, and I hear what you're saying, hey, this marketplace, this way of purchasing this is going to be applicable globally. And then as far as, um, and so the differences in how healthcare is paid for or the act, what type of quality of healthcare is going to vary among country, but that same model and process of buying on the marketplace is going to be applicable all over the world and people are going to be able to, to yes use e yeah. e even in government funded um locations there's still private health care right the uk where right. i went to graduate school still has private health care the netherlands where i grew up still has private health care 
um, you can go outside the system. And so there are people who live in the UK that go to Spain and Portugal for care, right? Surgery is a little cheaper and faster. Um, just like here in the United States, um, you know, we do probably, I mean, it's a pretty significant number of procedures that we used to do for Canadians. Since the pandemic started last March, it's gotten smaller, but I expect that it will grow uh, tremendously next year. It'll go far exceed what we used to do. So let's say we used to do 100 plus surgeries a month for Canadians. I think that will come back when they come back. And that's based on price transparency and speed. Like we have a location in Phoenix, like you land at the airport and it's eight minutes away or something. I mean, it's super close, right? And, and so it's like, okay, meet the doctors, talk to the doctors, get it done, get it scheduled, pay the money and it's finished, right? So you get on the plane, you go to the hotel, you check into the surgery deal, you get out the same day, you go back to the hotel, the doctor checks on you at the hotel, the nurse checks on you the next morning at the hotel, hopefully everything is going well, right? If all things considered, everything goes well like it should, then you get on the plane the next day, you're there over the, from Friday to Sunday, but who's the one to be in Scottsdale, Arizona? During the middle of the winter, if you're from Canada. So I think, I think those kind of things will return. Um, yeah, and I think, look, uh, the biggest thing about the marketplace is I want to eliminate the need for networks. I think carriers and networks, they're the enemy, as far as I'm concerned. Not that people in the, those companies, right? I'm not, I don't have an issue with them, but I think the companies as a whole uh, are wrong and incorrect. And uh, look, what if we had a marketplace, right? Just imagine that it covered all 18 billion uses. And imagine if it did that, right? Like you could schedule everything you ever wanted using a little app on your phone, right? That's, I mean, that's what I want to build. I'm not even close. That's going to cost hundreds of millions of dollars to get it done. Um, but let's say you get there. What do you need a market for? Like, what do you need it for? Because now all the underwriters can use all the data from the marketplace to build super cool new, they, they've got the underlying prices. So now they just have to figure out what they want their margin to be. And then they build a health plan. You know what I mean? So then you'll have health plans for smokers, non-smokers, overweight people, non-overweight people. You'll have, you'll have plans for companies that want to group together. You have plans for all kinds of things. So that's why the marketplace is important. I think it really decimates the carriers. And nothing will bring me more joy than to be on my deathbed and say, ha, ha, ha. You are out and people are paying less. And that would make me happy. Yeah, I keep thinking this marketplace idea, I, I always compare it to like an Amazon or even a PayPal. Um, and, and I guess more Amazon, but it's like they were, and, and how do you make that marketplace 10 times better? Well, Amazon had more books than anybody else. They had access mm -hmm. to books that people couldn't find in their local bookstore that they didn't even know existed. And so it opened up. And so as you approach that, is that kind of your mindset is like, I want to have more cash prices, more providers, more contracts than any other marketplace? Well, I, I think um, there are a couple of companies that do what we do on the B2B side that were bought up by SPACs. And so you got to see their underlying network, right? One had 273 ambulatory surgery centers and one had 310. Uh, both of those companies over the last 10 years have been saying, oh, we have over 500, we, we're huge, we're this and that. But when you do a regulatory filing, you have to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth, otherwise you get to go to prison, 
And so what I realized, because we did our own, uh, we had a company do evaluation for us, right? I'm bigger than them. Like our network, our cash network that we use for employers and for uh, direct-to-consumer patients, like it's bigger than both of them combined. And so I think that what we already have is great. And I think that if we can help three markets, if we can help the uninsured, right, or uncovered, the functionally uncovered or uninsured, and then the health shares, man, I don't know how much more we'd have to do. Like we, we'd begin winning the world. Like it would be so over, the demand would be so overwhelming just by, those are our three key initiatives. Those are the markets we're going after with our marketing dollars. I don't have to go after the guy that's covered by Facebook benefits. You know what I mean? Like, I don't even care about them. They're rich. They already have the best benefits in the world. I don't need Apple people, right? Like there's this whole like love affair on the LinkedIn white collar world with like these wonderful big companies. And I'm like, those people pay for their entire benefits package in three days. Right. If you look at Netflix, like I think Netflix, we, we did it. We, we looked at it with one of their customers. It was like 1.6 days of revenue. They paid for the year, you know, but if you look at like a union worker, right, the real workers of America, you look at a gig worker, you look at somebody that's kind of in the middle markets, right? It might take them two months to pay for everything. And so all of a sudden now that's, those are the people I'm tr like, those are the people that I'm focused on. I don't really, you know, I'm not, I'm not worried about the fancy people of the world. I'm worried about the people that can't pay. I remember a, a conversation the other day um, where an example was given with a, a person, an employee that was, um, was educated and told, Hey, you can drive 25 miles over here and get your MRI for $500. But he was very adamant that he got it at the hospital that his physician recommended. And so he was literally working overtime at his job so that he could get the extra money to go be able to pay for that MRI at the hospital. So that was just an example of that's, that was the financial burden on that person. And that was the cost he was having to put into extra time and over overtime in his job to be able to pay for that. So, I mean, don't people find that ridiculous? We get that a lot. We'll have like an, you have to remember what the incentives are and the way the incentive packages are written in health systems. So you're at you're a physician at health system at A, right? And you're in Chicago, we'll pick on Chicago. That's an easy one to pick on. So you're at Rush, you're at the University of Chicago, you're at Northwestern, right? All three of those hospitals are big ripoffs, right? And I don't mean that in a condescending way. I mean that in a super unkind, disrespectful way. Like they just live to take extract dollars from people that they don't deserve to do so. Um, and so what you have is the very same MRI machine, the same CT machine at their locations that you do offsite. And the physicians will say to the patient, hey, you need to go to ours. Ours is better. Ours is this, ours is that. And then they get you know somebody on our staff on the phone and it's like, well, well no, that's not true. That's not factual, right? Like, no, it's the same MRI machine. It's just that an entrepreneur who actually runs their business better than you do, right? Because you're a big bureaucracy, runs it like a real business and they compete. And so they're going to charge $560 for this MRI with and without contrast, while you charge $3,800, right? And there's the reason the doctor wants it is because they get higher compensation. They have relative value units 
and they have to meet certain requirements to get paid during the year. And if they don't, well, maybe they don't get paid as much. And if they meet certain ones up here, they get paid a little more, they get a nice little bonus. And so part of this is like, part of the last 15 years is the journey of teaching physicians the prices and saying, hey, look, man, uh, I realize that you went through 30 years of school and I super respect that. And I think it's great that you know how to fix somebody, but don't, don't jack them financially. Like, can we, tr medical bills are not the leading cause of bankruptcy, but they're pretty darn close. Can we not try to bankrupt everybody in this country, right? Can we just play by the rules and play fair? Um, and so, you know, it's painful to hear those kinds of examples, but they happen every day. And it's, I think it's highly manipulative and it's for the benefit of the physician, not the benefit of the patient. So this idea of a certificate of need laws, I, I was not familiar with that, but I've heard, I've seen where you've talked about that some and, and done a little bit of reading, but can you explain what those are and, and why they're significant? Sure. Yeah. Yes. I think, look, if someone says, where do I start? How come healthcare, you know, is so expensive? People like to say that, or they like to say the healthcare system is broken, all of which I disagree with. I think healthcare is not expensive if you look in the right places. And I think healthcare is not broken. I think the healthcare system was designed to extract the maximum amount of dollars out of everyone using every strategy possible. I mean, not-for-profits are the biggest scam in the country as far as uh, healthcare is concerned. They'll say, oh, Mother Teresa blessed our hospital. Oh, by the way, you owe $92,000 for a total joint that you could have gotten for $22,000 down the road. You know, so there, there are some fundamental things that everyone who loves healthcare should know. One is in 2011, we eliminated physician ownership in and of hospitals. So imagine you're a chef, you cannot own the restaurant. It's forbidden. You're a lawyer, you cannot own your own law firm. Uh, and the sad part is that, see, this is what I love about the internet because you can check everything, right? Like fact check this. All the white papers from all the reputable houses, think tanks and or I love the Kaiser Family Foundation's data, right? All the surgical hospitals that were grandfathered in that are owned by physicians all have higher quality, better outcomes. Why is that? Well, it's because they're physician owned and run. That's why. I mean, it's very simple. They actually know what they're doing. They actually care about patients, right? And they also have lower prices. So that helps me. Um, so everyone should, everyone ought to really know that the ACA, I think is a good piece of legislation and it has bad stuff in it, right? Like I'm probably one of a few thousand people that have actually read the document several times. Um, and then in 1997, we passed the Balanced Budget Act, right? That was the year I graduated from college. So a big year for me, which is why I remember it. And it basically said, we're gonna cap the amount of money that we give for residency spots. So today in the United States, we are lacking physicians. We don't have enough. Now, some people say it's a distribution problem. I think people who say that are super nerdy and need to be quiet. I don't care if we're missing seven neurosurgeons on the West Coast or if we're missing 11 dermatologists on the East Coast. I just care that we're now missing, you know, 28 total physicians that ought to have been there in the world. And so in 1997, when we wrote that legislation, the United States government, it was supposed to be a cap for two years. And uh, that's not what happened, obviously. Um, 
They did increase the budget. The, the federal government did increase the budget this past year during due to COVID, but that allowed for 85 more spots. So not really like we need 10,000 more doctors. We don't really need less. So here's the problem with that. And this is the big, this is the big kind of, eh. then we're going to get to con laws is about 10,000 physicians, right? 10,000 people every year become doctors, right? That says MD after their name, right? It says DR before their name if they wanted to. They leave medical school, they pass their boards, they've done everything that's required. And then they don't match for a residency spot because there's not enough. So imagine you go to school, you do really well, uh, but you don't match for whatever reason. And there's a ton of reasons you don't match. Matching's really hard. Like you have to literally sit in front of your keyboard and like refresh, because if you don't get an interview, like they might have a 20 minute opening at, at, at school and say, once we fill these 15 spots, cause you didn't hit return fast enough, you're not in, right? And for evidence of that, you can look on LinkedIn, you can read like Mother Jones has a couple of good articles on it. Uh, Twitter's always talking about it. Like the kids that don't match are always like, oh my God, you know, I owe $400,000. I mean, like, why do we have 10,000 people that don't match if we need more doctors? I mean, nurse practitioners are being given auto diplomas, you know, from every for-profit college in the country, right? Like, hey, pay your 90 bucks, get your nurse practitioner license. So it's seemingly, it's seemingly taking away from the good nurse practitioners, but it's adding a false sense of security. Like we have enough people, we don't have enough people. Well, then there are con laws, right? Which is always what I call the third leg of the problem. Uh, 35 states today limit the number of hospitals they limit the number of all medical facilities um, by committee. North Carolina is a state I like to pick on a lot because they're a big red state. And those people like say, you know, we're independent, we're free market. Well, they're anything but free market. Blue Cross Blue Shield of North Carolina has 90% market share in that. And everybody's chummy with Blue Cross Blue Shield of North Carolina, right? And they have to be because they don't do what Blue Cross Blue Shield of North Carolina wants, they get crushed. It's, it's a really oppressive type of relationship. So let's say you and I are radiologists, right? We just got out of our, our residency. We've done our internship. We're super happy. We're like, hey, man, you know, we went to Duke. We're super smart. We're kings of the world. We got wives. We got kids on the way. Bam, we're going to do it, right? We, we know about CTs and we know about MRIs. And we're like, hey, let's buy four CT machines. We've got utilization. And we're going to buy two MRI machines. And then the, I'm going to run it in the morning because I'm a super early morning guy. I'll be there at three in the morning. And you're a late night guy. So you get there at three in the afternoon. We'll, we'll be able to be open 24 hours a day. So we get this plan together. We borrow some money, right? Because now we're doctors. Banks want a loan to us. So we borrow three million bucks. We get it all done. Well, if we're living in the triangle in North Carolina, which is like Raleigh, Durham, right? which is where all the cool schools are, where all the cool people are in North Carolina. Yeah, you can't do that. We have to go ask the University of North Carolina Health System. We have to ask Atrium. We have to ask the Insurance Commission. We have to ask all these wonderful people, can we pretty please, pretty please open our own radiology? We're, ra we're trained radiologists. We're from here, born and raised. We'd love to open up a place. No. And so uh, the reason I pick on North Carolina is because it has more rejections than any other state in the, in the 50 states or out of the 35 con states. The state that will surprise you that's not a con state is California. 
California has more ambulatory surgery centers than anyone else uh, by twice. They have uh, close to 800. Um, and prices in California, if you're not in San Francisco, are really reasonable. If someone in California says, oh my gosh, we pay too much, I, I would scream at them and say, well, then your plan design's terrible. Your insurance company's terrible. Like something's going on to make it too expensive. Because if you live in Southern California, right? Like you live in LA, Orange County, San Diego, there are so many free market surgery centers. There are so many people that have cash prices. And it's like, it's impossible to pay too much, right? And so you've got a blue state, which people like to pick on, generally speaking. And then you've got this really uber red state, right? And they're diametrically opposed on healthcare. Now, New York meets more of the regular requirements. Wisconsin meets more of kind of the regular requirements. Um, New Mexico being one of the most expensive. Massachusetts is one of the most expensive. And so like I, we, we, had, we put a group together in 2014 to buy three hospitals in New York City. And it was like, no, rejected. And so this is a big problem, right? Because you have entrepreneurial physicians that want to provide care for lower prices but they're told no, and that they can't. Um, you have states like New York where um, you actually have to buy a certificate of need. And so let's say an ambulatory surgery center certificate of need comes open. If you want a two room uh, ambulatory surgery, so, so two ORs plus some extra rooms, you'll pay six to $8 million just for the certificate. Uh, like the old taxi medallions. It's exactly what it is. I mean, it's exactly what it is. And so I'm trying to live in a world where I meet great people like you and Andy. Of course, I've got to meet, he works with a guy named Bob Frame that I really like. And a bunch of people in this world where I'm trying to say, hey, maybe competition capitalism is really cool, right? Like I would say I'm a capitalist, but I'm also highly collaborative. And it's like all, all these alternative solutions that you've seen comprise less than 1% of the total marketplace. And so what I've said to people who are in my space is where we can collaborate, we really ought to collaborate, right? Like, I'm not trying to steal your customers from you. Mm -hmm. I don't need, like, there are so many customers available. I don't need to take them from you, right? We don't need to do that game. Like, let's figure out how to do it together. Because once we get to 5, 10, 12%, then we're going to win the whole thing. Mm -hmm. Like, we'll win the whole thing. They'll all be out of business they'll be gone. And that by that, I mean the carriers and the large health systems, they'll be gone. Because literally what we're going to do is we're going to take people out of the health system and bring them back to independent docs. And today that's not the world that we live in. Today it's controlled by people who went to business school like me. And that's not what I think is appropriate. I hope that helps. I know. I feel like I said a lot. No, this has been very helpful. Yeah, very helpful. Um, all right. Well, I know we're coming up on the time here. So just one more. Um, what other individuals or companies have inspired you the most as a, as a business owner, as a, as an entrepreneur? Oh, well, I mean, look, there's a lot. Uh, I have three or I, I've had three personal mentors. One um, was an executive at Morgan Stanley. One um, ran his own company called Sherman and Associates. It was a they, they did what you and I are talking about doing for healthcare. They did it for four and five-star hotels. 
Like they help them pick better food prices, better produce prices, better meat prices, like negotiate. Um, there's been lots of people along the way who've just taken an interest and said, here's how I can help you, right? And so what I've really tried to do, we live in a hyper-political world. And when people ask me political questions, I refuse to answer them because I don't think healthcare is very political, right? And I can find fault. Like I try to kind of point it out that red states are just as bad as blue states and blue states are just as bad as red states. And like, we as a people have to kind of come together. We, we can't, we're, we're in the habit of dividing ourselves. And I'm like, maybe you ought to unite yourselves, right? Like, and really try to kind of fix these problems because you can't fix them with division. So I, 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 I wouldn't know a specific name, but you know, I'd really try our social media team posts all the books I read, right? So whether it's a good Simon Sinek book, uh, Ben Horowitz did one of my favorite, The Hard Thing About the Hard Things. I mean, that book is absolutely crushing. You know, if you read that, if you think you want to be a founder CEO, when I tell people what, you know, what this life is like, I mean, you know, when I was in San Francisco, I lived in my car for like three weeks in a row. It was, you know, people hear those stories from founders and they're like, oh yeah, that's just the way. But I mean, it's, it's, it's bloody scary. Not knowing when it would end, not knowing that, hey, it's only gonna be three weeks, right? This could be. Well, it's like, I knew, I like, I knew there was going to be a like money here, but I was like, but how do you get to here? You know, thank God they don't bother you on the 101. Cause there's like, you know, there's just like stuff's just lined up. So I wasn't too worried about it, but I mean, like, you know, when you're eating ramen and then you're like, well, one day I'd like to have a girlfriend, right? Girls don't like dudes that don't have any money. Uh, they really don't like entrepreneurs, they're like, oh my God, dude, get a job, you know? And so I think when I was 28 or 29, I was really, I was pretty scared. You know, I thought like, how, how's this ever going to kind of work? And then when it started working, you know, of course that's the, that's the upside, but you know, it takes a lot. It takes a lot to get through all this. So anytime somebody like you reaches out, I'm trying to be helpful because I feel like I'm the old guy in the group, right? I just turned 45 in September and I'm like, oh my God, I have to help everybody. Right. I want, I want like, I want young people to know like, yeah, dude, you can live in your car and park at the Walmart for a couple of days. You'll be fine. It will not be great. It's not a pleasant experience, but you know, you'll be fine. P.S. You don't need a gun, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah. You've been so generous with your time. I, I, I appreciate it so much. And uh, it makes I'll send it over to you, but Ben Horowitz, I read an interview with him the other day. I have that book. I've not read it yet. Oh, but, send it uh, to me. Oh, it was, it was awesome. But he was asked the question by a, a younger person saying, I just feel like, you know, I get this feeling that I just don't have enough time to accomplish everything that I want to accomplish. And he said, look, uh, or how do I decipher what anything I want to do that's meaningful is going to take time. So how do I kind of pick and what he talked about his rap career, but what he ultimately said was find a problem that you're interested in working on, jump in, contribute any way that you can. And that's either going to be the thing or it's going to lead to your next thing. And eventually to you'll the find next the thing. thing. Yeah. So. Dude, that guy's brilliant, man. I'm telling you, you're going to, when you read the book, like send me what you think. Cause I, I, I mean, there's probably, I, I've got like a highlighter on that book and bent little pages. Cause it's so good. The other one was zero to one. There's a chapter oh, yeah. in there called you're not a lottery ticket. And I mean, I might read that chapter once a month because I tell people you're not a lottery ticket. 
Like what you've got in your brain, what you have in your heart, the talents that you have are unique to you. And it's your job to go out and generate that return on what's in there. No, fantastic. Yeah, I've been rereading that. All right, book, man. So. Dutch, appreciate Thanks for so your much. time. Yeah, appreciate man. You. Have, have a great day. Okay, you too. Bye-bye. All right, bye. Well, that does it for this episode of the Exploring Healthcare Podcast. If you're enjoying the show, hope you'll tune into future episodes. I'll be posting those on my LinkedIn and Twitter pages. As always, if you have any suggestions for the show or suggestions about future guests, you can email me at email at nicholas, N-I-C-K-O-L-A-S-C.com. But until the next episode, I hope you have a great day.